We're going to continue in a series we are calling The King and the Kingdom. We're looking to Jesus and his words and his teaching and his life. And so today I hope that uh, we have a great time together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So I invite you to pull out your Bible. If you don't have one, grab the one sitting in front of you. We're going to be on page 823. And we will, again, spend some time hearing from Jesus, understanding more of who he is and and how he calls us to live. One of the things we want to do is, is that we would teach on a passage here and that you would be reading this passage this next week. If you look at the back of your notes for today, do that real quickly. If you go to the back of your notes, on the very bottom it says that you can join us in reading chapters 16 through 20. And then if you do that, that's what the rest of us are doing. Some of us are following along on an app, and you can learn more about that on our website and our Facebook page. But the idea is that we would be reading from the same passages We would be discussing some of those in a class on Sunday mornings. But what I want to do with you today is share another passage. And then, as you would, uh, in your reading, you would come along this again this week. And and it would stir up some things that hopefully the Lord will stir up into your hearts today as we read and explore this passage. I want to go to a key passage, a theme passage that we've been looking at. If you'll look on the screen here... We've been looking at this passage from Matthew 4, verse 23. Matthew says this, that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, and he was teaching in their synagogue, similar to what I'm doing here in their gatherings. He would teach them. He would proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. I'll explain that a little more again today. And he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so he wasn't just a man on a stage and then absent from everybody else, but throughout the week, He is proclaiming that there is good news, there is this special kingdom that he is announcing, and he's getting his hands dirty in the process and being a part of people's lives and bringing healing to them. This is really Jesus' mission that he's doing. And I want to say this as a reminder, that we are all called to be a part of this mission. It's not just Jesus does the mission, it's not just that we show up on Sunday and get entertained or get... Uh, instructed, but this is really our pregame huddle because the game begins again when we leave here today. When we go out from here, this is our mission to teach and to proclaim and to be part of bringing healing into God's world. We used this language in November, said that God was sending Jesus. Remember this, that Jesus says, uh, just as the Father has sent me, do you remember this? Even so, I am sending you. And this idea is that, yes, God sent Jesus. We see some of that in Matthew 4, a quick summation of this. But the idea is that Jesus would send us. And so your job is to go and, and get to know and bless your neighbors. This isn't just a Christmas season thing. This wasn't just an assignment for you to do during Christmas, but this is our ongoing mission to get to know and bless our neighbors in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, at our school. And so the mission of Jesus is really our mission. Now, what we're going to do again today is learn from Jesus and learn about Jesus. Jesus said certain things. We're going to learn from him But in this process, I also want us to be learning about him. And one of the things it said he was doing was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news or the victory proclamation about his kingdom. Let me explain that again a little bit today, what God was doing. 
you're taking notes, let me share three thoughts on this briefly. One, God, Jesus was saying this, that God reigns and he always has. When Jesus was going around, he says, I want you to know something, that God reigns as king of the universe. He always has. So if you go and you read in the Psalms, and Chris read some of the Psalms for us this morning, it talks about God being a king and that he reigns, that he is in control. And Jesus says this is an ongoing truth, that yes, God has always reigned, and he still does. Jesus says he'd go about, he would say this, that the kingdom is coming in greater ways. He says, with me being here, with me being the Son of God, with me being God in flesh, the kingdom is now here in greater ways. You've heard about a king, you've heard about a kingdom, but it's now in greater ways. As I was doing some reading and studying this week, I found it interesting that in the Old Testament, we really don't find much about God or the prophets, anybody healing people from demon possession. Now, Satan, the arch enemy of God, has always been at work and in inflicting people. But when Jesus shows up, part of his healing is that he is healing people of demon possession. I think part of this is saying, listen, the kingdom is here in greater ways. I am removing the arch enemy in greater ways. And certainly he would destroy him and, and conquer him by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. But I think Jesus is saying, in greater ways, the kingdom of God is here. And lastly, we could say this, that it is good news when God's kingdom is near and advancing when he would say, listen, this goodness that you see, this little sparkle of goodness, I want you to know that's good news because God is near. His kingdom is near. His kingdom is advancing. I know you turn on the news, you might not think that God's kingdom is near or advancing, but it is. And this is part of the reason we gather together on Sundays is to say, yes, we're people who believe that God's kingdom is near, that Jesus is with us, and his kingdom is advancing. And so, amen. Thank you, Gil, for being there. All right. And so this is one of the things Jesus says, and we're going to see this today as we get to chapter 18, how to live in this new and advancing kingdom. Let me give you a little background, though, and you're going to be reading this this week. As we get to chapter 16, there's an interesting conversation I want you to read about. Uh, Pete, Jesus gets together with Peter and the other disciples, and he has this conversation. He says, who are people saying that I am? I just like your take on this. Who do people say that I am? And say, some said, well, some think you're a good guy, and some think maybe not. And, and Peter eventually says, here's who you are, Jesus. I, I, I know there are people saying certain things, but I believe this. I believe you're the one from God. I believe you're the one from God to bring in this new kingdom, to usher it in. It's going to be great, and you're the one, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, you got it right. That's the right answer. And Jesus says, but let me tell you a little bit. I'm going to suffer. They're going to attack me. Peter's like, no, no, no. I would never let that happen to you. You're the one from God. You're going to make it all right. No one's going to get to you. I'll protect you. Jesus says, just be quiet. You really don't understand, Peter. This kingdom is different than you expect. You'll read about that conversation. But Jesus says, I'm going to suffer. In chapter 17, watch for it again. You read this this week. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to catch this again. I'm going to suffer. To the point that they're going to kill me. 
Now, that, that messed with the disciples' brains. They were like, wait a second. We think you're the king. We think you're going to be the one that ushers in this new kingdom. You're going to reign. We're going to reign with you. And you're talking about suffering and even being killed? Come on. Let's go take this place. And this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, it's a little mysterious. Because he says, yes, the kingdom of God is near and it's advancing. And yet, I'm going to suffer and they're going to kill me doesn't quite make sense to the disciples. It is mysterious, this kingdom of God. I expect that when you read this, you have some questions. And that's why I would invite you to go to this class at 9 or at 10.30 and say, here are some of the questions I have. Ask them with fellow friends. Don't flood my email with questions, all right? I don't mind answering some, but listen, you've got other people in this church body that you can go to and say, you know what, I don't understand this. That's fine. You're in good company. Jesus' disciples didn't understand a lot of this. But there are some things we can't understand. I want to draw your attention to that today. And one of the questions I want us to consider today is this. How do people in the kingdom of God respond to hurt? How do people in this upside-down kingdom respond to hurt? Because Jesus, everything he's doing about this kingdom seems a little upside-down. How do kingdom people respond to hurt? How did King Jesus respond to hurt? How do you and I respond to hurt? So if you have your Bibles, grab them, open them to Matthew chapter 18, if you would, page 823. And I am hoping that as I read this to you and as you engage in this, that really this starts a conversation. I would hope that this starts a wrestling match with you and God and with you and others as you read through this. That this wouldn't just be something and then in 30 minutes you close it and a few days later you read it again, but that you would wrestle with this idea of how people in the kingdom of God respond to hurt. That you would believe it, that you'd think through this, that you'd process this and say, God, how are you calling me to live in response to this? Let's start at verse 1. Let's get some background to what Jesus is saying. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus. They're always asking him some questions. Here's one of them. Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This may not be your question today, but it was theirs. Jesus is king. They know this. They're following him. They're like, they're fighting for position. Which one of us is going to be greatest in your kingdom? We kind of want to know this. It even caused fights, this question. Who's greatest in your kingdom? We want to know this. Here's the question I'd like us to consider today. Who's greatest in this kingdom? Who's greatest in this kingdom? Jesus goes on to answer it, and he says this, verse 2, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's your answer. I asked a couple young ladies today, I said, Would you be willing to come up on the stage with me? They said no. I asked them again, they said no. Jesus, when he asked, they said yes. But so, you know, okay, I see how I rate. I don't know how Jesus does this, too, because he goes on and teaches a lesson with this kid probably just tugging on his robe or something like this. But he says, you want to know who's the greatest? Let's just start with this. He says, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a child. Jesus says a couple things here. I want you to write these down and think through these. One, he says, to enter the kingdom of heaven 
you must change, becoming like a child. To enter the kingdom of heaven, you must change and become like a child. Now, if I walked around this room and had conversation with each of you and said, are you a member or do you belong to the kingdom of heaven? Some of you would say, yes, I am a part of the kingdom of heaven. And you would say, well, there was a time when I said, God, I need you. God, I need the forgiveness that you offer to me. Like a child, I just said, hey, Dad, I need your help. And you received that, and you entered the kingdom of heaven. I imagine if I asked some of you, are you in the kingdom? Have you entered the kingdom of heaven? Some of you would say, "Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure even what that means. I don't know if I, am I good enough? And it's not a good enough question. It's not, have you done enough question? The question is, have you turned becoming like a child? Have you changed and become a child? Have you, really the word is, have you converted and become like a child? You're like, well, I'm not a kid anymore. It's not that. Is your heart's position to God where you'd say, Dad, I need you. I need some help. Kids usually aren't afraid to just say, hey, I need some help. You know, fix me some soup. Would you tie my shoes? You know, would you blow my nose? Whatever it is. They just ask for help. Jesus says, if you want to enter this kingdom, you act like a child and say, I need help. If I ask some of you, some of you might say, no, I know I'm not in this kingdom. And I do even question you, why? And if you say, well, I'm not good enough, it's not a matter of good enough. Jesus doesn't say you have to be good enough. I haven't read the Bible all the way through. He didn't say that. Now, I've committed some really bad sins. He didn't say that. He says you can enter the kingdom of heaven if you, like a child, say, Dad, I need some help. God, I need some help. I want you to know that offer stands to every single one of us in this room. The problem is some of us grow up and get older and we get a little more smart and, and we start thinking better of ourselves. And it's like, man, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a grown-up. But Jesus says unless you change and turn and convert and become like a child, you can't enter this kingdom. So you want to know who's the greatest? I'm, I'm, let me start by t- talking about how to get into this kingdom. Because they were probably getting a little too smart for their britches. And he said, I just want you to be like this kid I have up on stage with me. Money won't buy you into this kingdom. Good behavior won't buy into this kingdom. You simply going to God and saying, I need you, gets you into this kingdom. Which secondly would say this, to be great in the kingdom, you have to respond in humility. You have to respond in humility. It takes a humble heart to say, God, you have something I don't have. I need something that you can offer and Jesus says, you want to be great in this kingdom? Then you're going to stop asking questions like, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And you're going to simply say, God, I need you, and I'm grateful that you love me. Kids, they get to simply, okay, I believe that. Sounds good. Kids, you say, come follow me, usually, unless it's on stage. will usually say, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes. Simple childlike faith. Jesus is saying this is important to God. So Jesus says some things, and again, you're going to be reading them this week. And he says things like this as he's got some kids around him. He says, don't hurt these kids. Don't do things that would cause them to sin. Don't do things that would lead them into sin. I love kids. I love all people, but don't hurt my peeps is what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is saying this. He says, don't look down on certain people. Don't look down on kids. Don't look down on the lowly. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in this teaching, he says, I want you to be ready, actually, for people to hurt you. I'm going to tell you how to respond when people hurt you. Because you should just expect it, that it is going to happen. Go to verse 21, if you would. Then Peter, he has another question. Okay, he answered the greatest question by saying that we have to become kids. We thought we were growing up. Let's ask another question. Verse 21, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many times do I have to forgive the person who hurts me? You've talked about how do I respond here, but how many times do I have to forgive him? How about this, Jesus, seven times? Because the tradition of the day was about three. You could keep record and three was good. Okay, they forgive you, let it go. They forgive, or they hurt you again, you forgive them a second time. They hurt you again, you forgive them a third time. After that, you have some grounds for saying, wait, I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm going to hold a grudge against you forever. So Peter says, I'm going more than the three that's the tradition. Jesus, seven. Is that, we're just trying to figure this out. Is seven a good number? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some of your Bibles might be 70 times seven, 490. The idea is Jesus says, I don't want you to count. You're asking how many times you should forgive somebody? Three, seven, I'm saying don't count. After first service, somebody came up to me today and said, so you're telling me that the spreadsheet I have at home with everybody's name on it, with all the check marks, I should get away, do away with that? I said, absolutely. And that's what Jesus says, stop keeping count. Now let's look at this a little bit. Because Jesus, is, as the king, is speaking about his kingdom. He says, in my kingdom, when people hurt you, we're not going to keep track. I know that the tradition around here is about three times, and then after that you can hold a grudge, and you, you can put a black mark next to their name forever. But in this kingdom, you're not going to count. And really, this has to go back to the king's response to suffering. This goes back to Jesus' response to suffering. Let me show you some things, how Jesus suffered and how Jesus responded to this. So let's consider the king's response to suffering. When people had sinned against him, what did he do? Let's look at a passage in Luke chapter 23. Put this on the screen. You can write this down. You can look this up later. Jesus is on the cross. Luke writes this account and says that Jesus said, Father, forgive these people who are crucifying me. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, this is pretty outstanding because when Jesus is on the cross on a Friday, he knows this, that the Sunday before, many of them were shouting in his favor, favor saying, Save us! You're the Savior! Save us! You're the man! That was Sunday. By Friday, they're saying, you know what? I don't think he is the man. Crucify him. And Jesus on the cross, his response to people hurting him, people shouting these things against him, people putting him on the cross, his response to them is, Father, would you forgive them? Well, let's talk about what forgiveness is here a little bit. Forgiveness is this idea that the innocent one resolves the wrath over the sin of the guilty one 
and lets the guilty one go free. This is what Jesus was saying. Father, forgive them. I'm the innocent one here. I'm looking out on the guilty ones. And I'm resolving this by saying, I want them to go free. Would you resolve this so that they could go free? I'm not going to hold on to this and go, oh, these people. On Sunday, they loved me. Today, they hate me. I'm holding it against them. He's saying, listen, I'm letting this go. This is forgiveness. This is the response of King Jesus. Let me show you another way uh, that Peter says that Jesus responded to this. How do we resolve when someone hurts us, when someone sins against this? Peter writes this, that Jesus committed no sin. Okay? No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults him, doesn't say he cursed them back. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, didn't he, he didn't say, oh, I can zap you. No, he made no threats. It said, instead, Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus said, I'm going to entrust myself to the one who will take care of me. He will right all wrongs. I don't have to get justice. Boy, that takes some maturity to get there, huh? You see, you and I, we sin. We've got problems. And when people sin against us, the problem is, well, well we've kind of done it to them. And, but Jesus, clean of sin, no sin. Yet when people are doing these things against him, he did not deserve them. He didn't retaliate. He made no threats. He said, I'm going to turn this over to you, Father, instead of letting this embitter my heart. Getting the justice myself, that's the response of the king. This is a different king. This is a different kingdom. Most kings would say, you hurt me, I put you in jail. You hurt my people, I put you in jail. Maybe I take your life. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I'm actually going to let you take my life so that you can be free of all of this. Crazy king, crazy kingdom. Now with all of that, Jesus tells a story, and I want you to follow along as I read this, starting in verse 23. Matthew 18, verse 23. Jesus says this, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we don't necessarily use that monetary system, so that may not mean much to you. Some of your Bibles have a little letter next to it. You can go down to the bottom of the page and see what that means. But here's this king. He wants to settle accounts. He goes to one servant who owes him 10,000 talents, which in essence means 20 years of wages. Just figure that out for yourself, what 20 years of wages is for you. That's the credit card debt that this guy owes. He needs to pay right now. Ouch. All right. I don't have that under a mattress in my house that I can just go pay this. This guy is in trouble. When the king says, let's settle our accounts, you have a 20-year debt to me. This guy's in debt. Go to verse 25. Since he could not pay, the master, the king, ordered him to be sold 
with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring, have patience with me and I'll pay you back everything. And out of pity, verse 27, out of compassion is that word. In other words, his gut stirred. And he said, oh, this guy can't pay it. He's pleading. He's crying. I see a problem, and I'm starting to feel a problem. How can I help with this problem? Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king let the servant go. How amazing would that be for that servant? He said, I owed this much. He wanted it that day. I couldn't do it. I begged like a little kid. And he said, you're free of this debt. Woo! What a good day. Good news for this guy, right? Verse 28. Now that servant, who's just been forgiven so much, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. You're saying, well, how much is that? You go to the bottom of your Bible, it might tell you a little scale, and it says basically that's one day's wage. The guy who's been freed of a 20-year debt now goes to the guy who has a one day's wage against him. This guy has a little debt to him. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. I'll pay you. Verse 30, this guy says, or it says, He refused and went to put him in prison until he should pay the debt of the one day of pay. Verse 31. Jesus tells the story when his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They're seeing what has happened here. They were greatly distressed, saying, this ain't right. What we just saw, that isn't right. They were distressed. They went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Verse 32, then his master summoned him, the one who had been forgiven 20 years of debt, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. Jesus says this, catch this. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ouch. Jesus says, okay, you're wondering how many times you should forgive. Let me just tell you this story. Jesus saying, let me just, which one do you think you are? Are you the king in this story? Probably not. Are you this guy who's been forgiven 20 years of debt? Probably so. Do you hammer on your brother who owes you a very small debt? Probably so. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. Let's take some notes on this real quickly and and dissect this passage a little bit. Here's a servant who owes the king a ton. The servant could never repay it. Don't start thinking in your minds, well, you know, I have about 20 years of retirement saved up. Don't think like that. The point was, it was such a great debt, there was no way to pay that off. Think like that. And this king, he is compassionate. He's gracious. 
He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. As I'm looking at this, it's like, okay, so what's my response to the king? Let's consider my response to the king. As I hear that story, as the disciples heard that story, and they're wondering, how many times should I forgive a brother who sinned against me? Let's talk about our responses to the king. My response to the king. First one is this. I have a great need to accept his forgiveness. I have a great need to accept the king's debt plan of canceling everything. I have a great need for that. See, here's what I know about every single person in this room, including me, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? Every single one of us. Not just those people that are out there that you work with, that you live next to. Those people have sinned. Guess what? You and I, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know this, that the wages of our sin, what our sin deserves is death, separation from God. This is our debt. You see, you and I had a debt that we could not pay off on our own. Jesus, though, pays a debt that he didn't owe. It wasn't his debt to pay. He pays that. Pays this great debt that you and I have. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. You have a debt that you can't pay. You can't work it off. You couldn't go to church enough. You couldn't feed enough homeless people to pay off this debt. You couldn't give enough money to pay off this debt. You couldn't do anything to pay off this debt other than to beg to the king and say, forgive me, I can't do this. Now this honestly doesn't settle well with some people. They'd look at us as Jesus followers and say, I can't buy into a religion. It's really difficult for me to buy into a religion that says that the innocent pays for the guilty. Where does that ever work in our world? We don't want that. We want the guilty to pay for the guilty, right? You make a mistake, you pay for it. In what kind of world does the innocent pay for the guilty? So some people, I think, get tripped up on the whole Christianity and say, listen, if it's my debt, I'm going to pay it off. I'll work it off. You can't. This is an upside-down kingdom. That the innocent pays for the guilty. That Jesus has to pay for you. Some of you became like a child and said, it really doesn't make sense, but I'll take it. Free gift. I deserve the punishment, but I'll, t- I'll take the gift. At some point, many of us said, you know what, I'll be like a child and take that gift. Sometimes we grow up and forget to act like that child and say, I need that gift. I need that gift. You see, when you and I fail, we should pay. Is that, that's how we're used to this. I hurt my wife. I should have to pay for it. I should have to apologize. I should have to fix it, whatever it is. My wife is the innocent one. When I hurt her, should not be the one that has to pay for it. So many times in life, we, we see this, and it's like, okay, the guilty should pay. But this is an upside-down kingdom, and Jesus is willing to say, I'm letting this go. I will pay the price for you. You see, God did this at the greatest level for us to cancel our debt. And we have this great need to accept his forgiveness. I know that many of you have. I think there might even be people still that would show up on Sundays that say, you know what, I still haven't accepted this. I'm just going to try to be good. Listen, you can't. 
Just be like a child. Be converted like a child and say, God, I'm going to take a gift. That I'm going to let the innocent pay for me, the guilty, because that's what the rest of us have done in here. That's how you enter this kingdom. Now, secondly, as I look at this story of what Jesus says, my response to the king is also this, that I have a great call to offer his forgiveness. Certainly, I have a great need to accept the forgiveness, but I have a great call in my life to offer this forgiveness. This is where that question came from. How many times do I forgive my brother who hurt me, who sinned against me? Jesus says, you're going to keep forgetting him, forgiving him. You are not going to count because you've been forgiven so much. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road in this story. I think most of us want to be forgiven by God. But then when somebody hurts us, we're like, I want you to pay, sucker. Right? And we live with this in our heart. It's like, thank you, God, that you forgave all of my debt, but I want this person to pay. I got to tell you, there are so many times this week I'm just walking around. I'm at home, at work, just between home and work, and I just get frustrated. I'm like, I want them to pay. And then I have to say, wait a second. I am so glad that God has forgiven me of so much, right? Uh, What I want them to pay for is so small. I've got to learn to let this go. Consider the king here. Consider this story. It's quite mind-blowing. He says, I I forgave a debt that was 20 years of wages. I let that go because you pleaded. In essence, this is what God has done for us, but we, we can't even comprehend. Jesus just tries to put it in some terms that we might be able to understand. And you and I go after the person who owes us a very small debt. I know it hurts. Listen, and I'm not trying to minimize anyone's pain in this room. I know that some of you have suffered badly. Some of you have been abused. These things are very hurtful. But there's also this, you have to learn to let this go, mostly in response to what God has done to you. He has let this great debt go. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. You've been forgiven a great debt. You now have to live in response to letting other debts go. Let me show you a couple passages. Write these down if you would, and you can look these up and study them later. Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writing to a group of believers in Jesus. He writes this, bear with one another. In other words, hang in there with each other. I know you hurt each other. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against you, go beat his brains in. No, no, no. If one has a complaint against another, forgive. Let it go. Let it go. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It's always in this context. It's not just this idea of you've got to muster up some strength and do something impossible. It's you need to understand what God has done for you so that you can let it go. You're thinking of that movie Frozen, aren't you, as I keep saying, let it go. All right. Anyway, here's one more passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you. These are the things that just cling to our heart. He says, get rid of this. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another. Let it go as God in Christ forgave you. Here's the key. Yes, I know that somebody has hurt you. Somebody has said something, done something, and you want them to pay. If you do not let this go, your heart is going to be filled with bitterness. We've all been there. Let that go. Catch the end of that, forgiving them as God in Christ forgave you. Not just looking at them and saying, man, you owe me, but looking to God and saying, oh, my land, you've forgiven me so much. I think this was the humbling part for me this week. I'd look here and say, how come this doesn't happen? I want them to pay. And I would just literally turn and go, oh, my. I am glad that God doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. I am glad that all my sins have been forgiven. The sins that I'm going to even commit in the coming days, they have been cleared and taken away by Jesus. Whoo! So how do we live in this kingdom? How do we live in response to people hurting us? I think our first response is this, is consider what God, how God has treated you. You have to look at the story and say, here is how the king has treated me. I simply said, God, I need forgiveness. He's like, done. I didn't have to work that off. No, my son took care of that. Someone hurts us. Sometimes they ask for forgiveness. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they apologize. Sometimes they don't. The response out of how we have been treated by God. That's how we're to treat each other in this kingdom. I, it's upside down. I know you want to give them one of these, wow, you know, and you're going to pay. No. You let it go. How do we live in response to this? I, I said this earlier that I would hope that you would wrestle with this. I can't resolve everything with forgiveness in our short time together. Uh, some of you have great hurts, and, and I don't, it certainly doesn't mean you put yourself in certain situations where you get hurt again. Some of you probably need to leave those situations, remove yourself from those situations. But do you hold it in your heart and say, you know what, I'm going to get my revenge? No! Like Jesus, you entrust yourself to God and say, God, you've got to take care of this. I'm letting go of the problem, and I'm letting you bring healing to me. I would hope that you'd wrestle with this. Because if you didn't bring something in today where you have some unforgiveness, you're going to be wrestling with this tomorrow or in the coming days. It's just part of being human and living with each other is that we hurt each other. And what happens when people hurt you is that you must look and say, this is what God has done for me. The king has removed so much of my debt. Of course I can let that debt go. So I would hope this week that we would wrestle with this. Because in this kingdom, what God is doing is he's forming us. He's shaping us. He's changing us. He's working on every single one of our hearts. He says, I'm actually going to allow people in your lives to hurt you so that you get another opportunity to look to me, to find healing for me, and to consider the great forgiveness that I've offered to you. God is shaping you constantly. 
Don't let your heart be bitter. Don't let your heart be troubled. Consider what God has done for you. My prayer is that we would have this prayer simply, Father God, change me. Change me. That has to be our prayer. God, change me. When you get hurt this week, when you're still dealing with this frustration and you want them to pay, my prayer is that we would just say, God, change me. Change me to look to you and go, I'm forgiven of all of this? I know that church people after a while start thinking, you know what, I'm pretty good. I mean, maybe he didn't forgive me too much because I'm pretty good. Listen, reread this this week and understand here is the king and he has forgiven you so much. And ask God to change you and he will. I'm going to ask that you bow your head with me and, and reflect on this. Because it's not easy. When Jesus said he was going to suffer, the disciples said, no, 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 you're not. He's like, no, it's just part of life. To the point that they'll kill me. And you and I will suffer, even at the hands of each other at times. In our marriages, we will hurt each other. With our kids, with our parents, we will hurt each other. At work, at school, even in church, we hurt each other. And the point is not to make a list and forgive three times or seven times or 77 times, but to consider what God has done on our behalf. Heavenly Father, um, as I think about this passage, um, I can't help but think about how much you have forgiven me. I am so grateful that you do not treat me as my sins deserve. And I'm glad that you do not treat my brothers and sisters in this room as we deserve. But you are compassionate You had pity on us. You are gracious. Jesus, that you would go to the cross on our behalf. Quite amazing. So would you help us to ponder that? I imagine there are even people today for the very first time need to say, God, like a child, I need this gift of forgiveness. And you say, done, done deal. So I thank you for that. God, continue to change us, shape us, turn us into humble children who need you. Not to be arrogant, not to be proud, and to look down on other people. But to look to you in humility and say, wow, I have been forgiven so much. How can I not forgive others? To empower us this week. I know this is radical living. And it's difficult, Jesus, but as we look to you, it's just, it becomes natural. We've been forgiven so much. Thank you. Help us to live in response to that. So in these moments before we leave today, just help us to understand that though our sins were
We're as dark as scarlet and blood that you have washed us white as snow through the work of Jesus Christ. And out of that freedom and out of that liberty, now we can live this life of forgiving others. Empower us. Help us to see what you have done for us. We love you. We praise you. We commit all this to you.